This is it, fellow Defenders, the end of Defenders TV podcast and the finale of Jessica Jones. This is episode 235 about Jessica Jones, season 3, episode 13, a.k.a. everything. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. This is Derek on Defenders TV Podcast. We're here for the finale of Jessica Jones Season 3, which is talking about Episode 13 of Jessica Jones Season 3, a.k.a. Everything. And it's our final episode of Defender TV Podcast, and we're joined by everybody. Woo! Crying. Yes, it is I. Joining the group again, Chris Jones. Welcome, fellow Defenders. Hello there, fellow Defenders. Yes, it is I, John Harrison. You really want to say it's I, I the clerk, yeah, don't you? I do, I do. <laughs> From Hello, Hello, I know, it's your thing. <laughs> yes, fellow defenders, and it is I, Leclerc. I mean John, yes. The bed knobs are flashing, and weirdly, I have a strange, mustachioed Englishman under the sheets. I genuinely think we've talked about Hello, Hello more often <laughs> since we moved to Switzerland than any time in my entire life beforehand. And it's so appropriate for a certain age of people. And most people have no idea what it is. So yeah. we shall move on. Thank you so much for joining us, fellow defenders. We've mentioned it multiple times before, so we're not going to repeat ourselves too much. We'll probably say it a couple of times later on in the episode. But this is our final episode of Defenders TV Podcast, which means you have to resubscribe to us on TV Podcast Industries to get all the other stuff we're going to be talking about. There's loads more we're going to be talking about. But let's hop into the episode itself. Yes. On with our spoiler-filled review. Derek, what are some of the episode details? Well, the episode was written by Lisa Randolph and showrunner Melissa Rosenberg from a story written by Nancy Wan and Melissa Rosenberg for this final episode of the season. We've talked about Lisa before. She wrote two other episodes this season. Uh, she did episode four, which was AKA I Have No Spleen, and episode nine, AKA I Did Something Today. The other episode that Nancy Wan wrote this season was The Double Half Wappinger. Chris, I know we had lots of fun talking about a double half anything being the whole everything, right? <laughs> But it's a Wappinger, so it's more. <laughs> double a half equals a whole, and it's a Wappinger. Yeah, a double half Whopper would be a full Whopper. Exactly. Tasty. Excellent. Tasty. Uh, Melissa Rosenberg is the showrunner of the show. We always say the sign of a great Marvel Netflix show has always been that the showrunner comes back to work on the final episode. Hopefully she gets some news about her future projects. Only recently finished this series and only recently finished promotion on this series, actually. So uh, no brand new news on where she's going next. But personally, I'm kind of hoping that she joins Luke Cage showrunner Chio Coker and Daredevil season three showrunner Eric Olsen over on Amazon Studios. They seem to be doing some fantastic work over there. They seem to be the place that everybody's used to think Netflix was that an open place to develop your uh, your ideas and create brand new stuff you know that's what everybody used to talk about with Netflix and now Netflix is starting to run out of money it feels like they're squeezing uh, these creatives and pushing them onto other platforms so uh, hopefully Melissa gets something brand new out of this yes interesting that isn't it mm. because what well, the expanse is going to Amazon Prime as well yeah yeah season four of the expanse is coming out in December on Amazon Prime now yeah and of course, we're covering the boys over on Amazon Prime as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so check out our thoughts there. But I can't wait to see. It was also confirmed already before season one is even out that season two of the boys will be coming. Um, so hopefully, potentially, we may get a, uh, a crossover there. Who knows? Yep, potentially we'll get uh, Melissa over there. That's cool. Yeah, we did uh, Good Omens as well uh, over on Amazon Prime. So we've done loads already, and it's very early in their time. Hopefully we'll get loads more out of them in the future. But the episode was directed by Nissa Hardman. We've spoken about Nissa Hardman last season because she's an Irish director, uh, has directed many, many shows in the past, and she directed uh, season two, episode 10, a.k.a. Pork Chop of Jessica Jones. I remember speaking about it before. So uh, uh, great to have her back for this final episode. 
Yes, and you want to hear me do my worst Irish accent, even though I am Irish, check out our <laughs> review of that episode. It was pretty bad, Chris, pretty bad. <laughs> Garbage, Jesus, what do you mean? <laughs> but, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? To be sure, to be sure. <laughs> sure. <Okay. laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist that. <laughs> hey, it's a final episode, you can change up your sure. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> sure. As Jessica Jones returns from the courthouse to her apartment, an old friend, Luke Cage, in his new threads, visits and gives her some sage advice. Knowing what she must do, Jessica sets out to track down her sister and friend, Trish Walker. Trish is trying to prove her heroic abilities with an attack on Dimitri Patseris at the direction of Jerry Hogarth. However, following this attack, Trish flees back to Jerry's apartment on her suggestion. But the trap laid by Jerry and Jessica backfires when Kith unexpectedly turns up and is held hostage by the Hellcat. With Kith in a chokehold, a love-struck Jerry pulls a gun and in the standoff offers to help Trish escape from the USA. Shooting Jessica in the leg, they make their getaway. Shortly after, Jessica leaks Trish's true identity as the Mass Vigilante and finds Trish attempting to leave the country. As they battle, Trish pulls a knife, stabbing her sister as Jessica learns the true cost of being a hero and in custody, Trish learns what it means to be the bad guy. In the aftermath, Kith destroys any hope of Jerry's that they could become a couple. As the Hellcat is sent off to the raft, Jessica gives Malcolm the keys to Alias Investigations, sets up Eric and Costa as a crime-fighting duo as she intends to leave New York. But while buying her ticket to El Paso, a dark, familiar voice from Jessica's past begins to whisper to her, give up everything, to give in. In true Jessica fashion, she fights those negative purple thoughts and decides to remain in New York. Jessica. 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 TV oh. podcast industry. <laughs> Dot com. Subscribe to the podcast. Yes. <laughs> All right, we'll stop doing that because that uh, whispering never comes across very good in podcasts. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> it sounds perfect. <laughs> from one major return at the end of the episode, which will, is awesome and we will talk about, to one massive return around the beginning of the episode. Really shocking, really wonderful. Our case note number one, Luke Cage, Hero of Harlem. I absolutely loved seeing Mike Coulter back in this show and so good that they tied up all the things that Jessica wouldn't know about the life of Jessica Jones from season two and how that ended and from the end of season one, actually, of uh, of Luke Cage, where he talks about what happened in the past to him and his brother Willis Stryker. That's all from the end of season one, the fact that he had to choose saving Harlem over the life of his brother and send him off to the raft. It was really good to have this moment where he's actually able to empathize with the situation that Jessica's in. I think that was quite a cool choice. Yeah, this was really great to see Mike Coulter back as Luke Cage. Just simply that nod to season one and how instrumental he was there. Mm -hmm. He was looking really sharp in that sort of upgraded uh, look for Luke Cage. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, still got the the yellow wafted and wefted through the the, the wool suit. So really good. Um, and and I, I like the kind of his inclusion here that, yeah, there's a bit of empathy here as to what Jessica is going through. But I also like that it goes a little further as well in that, you know, he says to her, well, if there, there is a risk that I go like that, I want to be sure that there's someone that, that can take me down as mm -hmm. well. And that really nicely links into the end of season two. So it, it's a bit of season one and a bit of season two of, 
of Luke Cage, but also uh, his connection with Jessica Jones. So I thought this was really nicely handled and in really quite a short period of time as mm. well, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So first of all, I hope she had enough coffee. Uh, she probably ran into the kitchen and made sure, I have coffee, it's okay. Um, <laughs> seriously, though, um, I, I was so happy to see him back. And it wasn't a cursory cameo, as you guys said. It was basically him post-season two. He's sharp. He's taken over Parliament's Paradise. It's the beginning. You can see the threads here of if... They had have continued, this had have continued, mm-hmm. the Shadowlands type thing that we were talking about where he starts talking about, I hope if you would take me then if I go across the line. Exactly. And she goes, there's no real worry of that. And he goes, well, potentially there is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I like that they included that. It's a shame, obviously, we'll never see those that storyline kind of go out. But I have to admit, it the look of... Even Luke Cage now, the, the the way that they dress him correctly, and I say correctly in quotes, it was very much that Luke Cage look where he usually wore his yellow shirt with his black waistcoat mm-hmm. and black pants. Mike Calder will always be, to me, Luke Cage now. Yeah. He just embodies that kind of look. Um, so it's fantastic to see him one last time. I'm happy we even got him. Obviously... It would have been great if we had maybe got a bit of Matt Murdock and a, f- a few others, mm-hmm. but this still felt like a good closure because of the the connection that him and Jessica had in season one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's really important for these two characters to be on screen together. I liked that they chose to do it this way as well, because even though we don't get a season three, we actually got the resolution to Luke Cage season three in just the conversation that he has with Jessica. He effectively says... I'm getting to a point here where I could turn into something really bad. I could become the villain. To quote the Batman uh, arc in Dark Knight, where he says, you either die the hero or live long enough to become the villain. Uh, This is exactly what Luke Cage says. He says, some say it would be inevitable that I'm going to turn bad, which is what we thought was going to happen in season three. And he's actually given us the end of season three by saying to Jessica, if I turn that way, I want you to take me down. So he's kind of connected that whole storyline that we actually never got to see and given us what the resolution would be. And it just feels massively satisfying to get this at the end of Jessica Jones. Yeah, it also makes yeah. me want to have uh, Luke Cage season three, to be honest. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was nice, just it was more that they have this connection because, mm-hmm. as you said, we had Stryker, we had his storyline in Luke Cage season one and how that worked. And it gives Jessica enough of a pep talk to go, okay, Trish will have to go to the raft and I don't feel as bad sending her now because it is the right thing to do. Um, in her head yeah. again I'm paraphrasing now but it was good that that happened and it wasn't let's say Jerry going you need to send her to the raft she's a pirate person but it wasn't Costa even though Costa could have done it and he probably did mention it it needs to be someone who she had a connection and who understands where she's coming from the familial connection and that the pain of having to send your loved one there absolutely absolutely that does lead us straight on to case note number two this episode is so much about trish and jessica's relationship with the sister standoff uh, which is our case note number two this moment when jessica traces trish down to her darkened apartment with no lights on i love as jessica walks in through the door going you're just sitting here in the dark and 
Trish responds saying, it's not dark to me. I can see perfectly. You know, it's that, that moment where she's talking about the powers that she now has that Jessica still doesn't seem to realize even after everything they've done. Um, this confrontation between the two of them, what do you think, John, about this idea of Trish explaining why it had to be her that killed Salinger? Yeah, I mean, it's really powerful. I mean, I think the first off for me is I really like the fact that just in the aftermath of Salinger's murder, you have Costa kind of looking in a pleading way to Jessica saying, do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then she goes to, um, you know, the apartment and, and there is this this standoff. But I, I think, um, you know, there's some really good uh, bits in here. I, I love the way Trish goes, yes, it is horrible. And you kind of think that Jessica is talking around, but she then follows up with, but necessary. Uh, and I'm sorry for what this may mean for us. Like, Actually, she's considered the consequences to some extent other than the fact that she may think of herself as being a bad person. Mm-hmm. And I think the the little um, trick or the little um, addition to Jessica here is with Eric coming through the door, yeah. touching her, and then effectively going into Raiders of the Lost Ark face melts because, <laughs> um, you know... He's just touched a really, really bad person. But she yeah. thinks this is a trick. You know, she, she thinks she's being tricked. She's It's him, you know, that is the bad guy. It's just his own headaches. Or, you know, she suddenly loses faith in Eric's ability mm. to predict who's a bad guy um, or bad person, even though she's used him before. You know, there's yeah. a real suspicion about why Jessica has done this. So this standoff is, you know... It's laced with, you know, the face-to-face confrontation, but all this additional stuff with Eric yeah. as well. And I, I thought it was really, really good. And I think that's a great point, isn't it? That that Trish has used Eric in the past before to find bad people for her. So she absolutely cannot deny that he has is seeing her as a bad person. We talked about it on the last episode um, because Eric was raising her at like a 5 out of a 10, not that bad. But now that she's actually gone to that point and pushed herself over the edge and murdered Salinger in cold blood... Now she's as bad as Salinger was. She was effectively killing him because of what was in her own head. And he was already about to go behind bars effectively. So she has now pushed herself way over the edge effectively. So I think that's quite interesting, seeing the big difference between those previous murders that were accidental and the fact that she carried out this murder on Salinger, knowing that she wanted to kill him. And that's what twists Eric's perception of her into this point where he's bleeding from his eyes and nose like he was with Salinger in the past. It, it's interesting to see how how Eric deals with that level. So mm. it's a question I did have in my head, which is, it, does Eric's perception of the person influence his level of pain at all? So maybe she was actually more than a five. But it, the colouring and his perception of her as a person lowered the bar. But face melting cannot really be... Uh, argued with yeah. now unless it, unless his superpower is pushing blood out through his eyes and nose <laughs> and he's just <laughs> pretending that he has this ability yeah like crying milk it's exactly. his party trick <laughs> <laughs> the the interesting bit I see, I, I, I see is that it is as you said she has now gone so far beyond that limit she's like spinal tap she's at the 11 mark mm-hmm. it's because he does bleed it's the level of Salinger craziness of dirt of evil that is coming through but you're right she doesn't believe it yeah yeah and 
I was screaming at the screen at this point because Jessica, she says, oh, fine, I'll come with you. Yeah. Let me clean up. And she goes into the bathroom and uh, Eric stumbles out. And yeah. you have Jessica going, hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, please tell me there's no window in there. Please tell me <laughs> oh, there's no window. <laughs> you can even see Jess going, oh. But was that a bit breaking the fourth wall? Because that, because, um, yeah, I, I had that as well. I had that down, you know, I'm going to clean myself up trope, you know, escape through the bathroom window, turn on the shower, escape through the bathroom window. And, uh, we, when we watched it again, we put on the, the subtitles and you have this great moment where it says, um, you know, Jessica goes scoff and then she does the eye roll as yeah. though, oh no. Why did I fall for that? Why have I fallen <laughs> for that? You know, she, yeah. so I think it was a little bit like that, but uh, I know what you mean. First off, I was like, oh no, they've gone escape through the bathroom window trope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do think the direction actually pays off on an episode like this or that moment when you do a trope like this, when you're directing this episode and you have the camera focused on Jessica's reaction to her making a stupid, stupid mistake that she shouldn't ever make. And then, and as you say, yeah, that reaction where she just eye rolls as she hears the tap going on effectively because she knows instantly, oh, I really shouldn't have done that. She's getting out of the place. Um, but Trish goes to hide out in one of the buildings of the guys she killed in the last episode, Jace Montaro, um, hiding out in there and taking that kind of order from Jerry Hogarth to prove herself as a hero here. One of the things I love about the scene where she's sitting kind of in this brand new hideout is the note that she's writing to Jessica, that uh, that email that she's writing. She's done this before where she just couldn't get the wording right to tell Jessica she was trying to be a hero. This time when she's writing the note, it really does sound like Dr. Doom standing above the world going, I will prove to you all. I mean, um, I will I will show the world that I'm... Oh, no, that's not right either. This really sounds like Hellcat is becoming... The cat of hell, it sounds like she's becoming a demon, sounds like she's becoming a real bad person. And yeah. she realizes as she's writing the note, I think that's a lovely touch from uh, the writers in this episode to make to, that she sees how she's changing effectively. I think it's really cool. The interesting thing, she at the end, she still goes with pretty much the worst version of it and then just puts the phone away going, ah. Yeah, like you can literally see her go. No, I need you to help me understand. Yeah. I will show you. <laughs> and you're like, and she doesn't go. No, 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 no. I don't think fine. she sends it though. I don't think she sends the email. She she doesn't send it, yeah. but it's still. She comes up with four like, options, and all of them sound like Doctor Doom about to unveil his brand new plan to the Fantastic Four or something. <laughs> but it progressively worse. Yeah, it's Doctor Doom as a young adult was their friend at one point and all the way to Dr. Doom versus Reed Richard and or Magneto versus Xavier. Mm-hmm. I will show you. I will demonstrate you. Exactly. <laughs> I will demonstrate what my true power is. <laughs> but speaking of options, mm-hmm. case note number three, uh, she gets this out through Hogarth, mm-hmm. through Jerry Hogarth, um, who, you know, this is the intersection of Hogarth's long-standing plan to to bag kith effectively and to get kith you know while she she dies uh but with trish's as you say reasoning to prove to everyone else that she is heroic Mm -hmm. and even then it doesn't turn out as she wants uh as she completely goes overboard with dimitri pateras and although in fairness i think hogarth just simply to get her on board probably makes out that he's worse than he is. I'm not saying he's not a nice guy, mm. but um, 
she may be over-egging the pudding, so yes. to speak. There is a moment from Trish where she says to Hogarth, is he a bad person or are you a bad person, basically? Um, are you the type of person that I would do the things I do to bad people or is Dimitri Pacera? So she's effectively saying, tell me it's him, point me at him, or I'm going after you. So this is just another one of those moments where Hogarth is protecting her own yeah. life effectively uh, for another five more minutes. Um, one thing I did like about this opening scene, effectively, with Hogarth and Kith, where Kith calls over to her after all the uh, the moments where she'd been taken away by the police after Salinger got killed in front of her, effectively, or she found the body of Salinger. Kith's seen this on TV and goes over to the house. Remember early on in the season, Chris, we were asking this, uh, this moment about Hogarth tripping over and, and Kith not seeing it. And I was saying that, that if ever... Hogarth wants to reveal that she's sick to Kith, she will choose the exact right moment. I think this is the moment. Oh, you're shaking there, Hogarth. No, I'm dying, is her response. <laughs> that is that is a true moment of Hogarth about to use her illness to get Kith to permanently be with her. 100%. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I didn't think it would be as obvious. So, this was a pure Jerry Hogarth play. Mm-hmm, exactly. And you can see it, and it's just, she goes, no, I'm dying. You're like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, I, I'm not even angry at you, Jerry. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Like, you, you could have done so much better. Yeah. But it plays out even more later, mm-hmm. um, in terms of where we go with that. But it's just interesting to see how Jerry starts using that call to Trish, using Kith. It's the cogs continuously move in Jerry's mind. Always, yeah. It's always, and it's just it's it's interesting to see that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But she does send her for Dimitri. Um, that scene with Trish and Dimitri is tough. Mm-hmm. And for me, the only reason it was it's fine if it was just what it was. But the fact that they included the kid and you see this strong child kind of don't hurt my dad and set yeah. and you see the the I thought it was a breaking moment for Trish I think that's what you're supposed expected to think mm-hmm. that Trish is oh my god I am becoming the bad person oh yeah. no it is me no that does not happen to that level yeah uh, it's a weird one isn't it it's like Trish is saying well I he, she knew about the daughter she knew the daughter it w- is, was around but as long as the daughter's not there she can beat this guy to a pulp it's fine but yeah. now the daughter's there, oh, hang on, I've made a terrible mistake because of my timing more than anything else is what it feels but, like, you know? But she's also, like, massively sort of absolute. You know, you've heard her say, um, I'll stop when I'm right. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, when you protect a bad person, you are a bad person. Yeah. You know, it's all black and white. Trish is totally um, doing things probably against her instinct previously. Yeah. And now it's just all completely one way or the other there's there's nothing in between and that really comes out uh, in these moments but is maybe slightly undercut with her giving away when uh, the kid comes up but she has called the police so um you know she's just again self-preservation absolutely i do find it interesting as well as trish is beating up at saris he does actually say and admits to both of the bad things that everybody who's watched the show knows he's done. One is embezzling money and the other one is beating his wife when he was younger and seeking out help for that. So he's admitted everything that Trish is there for and she's still beating on him because she has this mistaken belief from Hogarth that 
he's a much worse person than just those two things. So would she have let up at all if his daughter hadn't arrived? No, because she's constantly going, and what else? Mm -hmm. And what else? Um, I do want to call one part which made me giggle, which (laughs) is when Trish is trying to leave the house through the back patio door, the, 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 the balcony door, she grabs the handle and it looks like it got stuck slightly because she has to rattle it a bit and then she pushes it out. So I was like, oh, the so- a stagehand got in trouble for that one because <laughs> it was just like slightly stuck. Yeah. And it it looked, it it works out well because she is a bit flustered at that point. Mm-hmm. But it was just funny because I'm like, oh, the, the, the feline reflexes are just not working on all cylinders right there. <laughs> um, but that does lead us to Jess's overall plan mm-hmm. she starts pushing Jerry to announce to the world that she knows who this vigilante is mm-hmm. that she's going to name this person um, and all to drive Trish to a location where they can control Exactly. they yeah. know that Trish will go to Jerry's place so we get that fantastic scene which is the lead up but of course all good plans of mice and men never go to fruition they never go the way they're supposed to mm-hmm. and we get kith arriving there which i if i was jerry i just would have go go away like i'm sorry get out you can't this is going to be bad yeah well i suppose the realization from hogarth here is that kith's actually there to give her exactly what she wants she gets a kiss from kith effectively saying thank you so much for everything you've done i know it's bad i know this guy's in the hospital but i feel safe for the first time ever and gives her a kiss just as trish arrives so Everything that Hogarth has planned has come about at exactly the wrong time for her. Yeah, it's that dividing line between success and failure. And if she had just arrived 30 to 40 minutes later, then presumably Jerry has her companion until she she dies. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas instead, you have her coming in at completely the wrong time with Trish there to, you know, again... Is she looking for justice or just to to get her to back off? You know, Mm -hmm. you kind of expect that Trish will get violent here, will get physical. Mm -hmm. Um, But with the trap in place, uh, it ends up where Jerry has to completely backtrack on everything that she's probably promised to Jessica because she gets... um, kith involved or kith gets embroiled in all of this yeah uh, with trish uh, getting her in a headlock effectively looking to kill her as well and this is when you know she's gone totally off the rails because mm-hmm. she's you know she is this caged cat um and she is willing to do anything and in the end so is jerry for kith yeah. um and so promises her to sort of get her out the country basically uh even though she's pulled the gun you know, she realizes probably with her shaky hands she could easily hit um, Kith. Although she has a pretty good shot and gets Jessica in in the legs. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have to say really quickly that moment when Jessica arrives and grabs Trish and throws her into the ceiling is excellent. It's a really good dynamic moment as Jessica, even though the plan is going slightly off the rails, it looks like Jessica has control of it because she gets. Trish in there in that moment and gets her up against the roof. I think it's very cool. Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't seem to work out as well as she'd expected. I really like as well that when Jessica brings Jerry into this whole kind of plan to capture Trish, that, you know, she uses the words back um, that Jerry has been using to her. She goes, you're going to do this whether you like it or not, because your life is going down the pan yeah. here. And you keep telling me that, well, this will atone for that. Absolutely. So. 
And she's called it out. Get on with it, basically. Exactly. And she's called it out two previous occasions that Hogarth is getting worse as she gets to the end end of her life, whereas most people start to do better things for the world that they want to leave behind. Hogarth's getting worse and worse and worse. So it is that moment of atonement. It's really interesting. But it does end off with Jessica revealing to the world that the mask vigilante is Trish Walker. She goes online and sets out this viral post effectively going, you think, you know, Patsy, Patsy's actually Trish Walker and Trish Walker is this mask vigilante that everybody in the city has been looking for. It's a really cool, cool ploy uh, of Jessica's. And I love as Trish realizes her world is falling apart with this announcement. I love that moment. I think it's just played really, really well. And now she needs to get away from civilized society. We heard in the past that her show is shown in 216 countries around the world. So getting that face away from people uh, around the world is going to be quite difficult, but I love that moment that it just all breaks down. I think it's really well. She's just totally lost that Jessica would actually do this to her, even after everything yeah. she put Jessica through. It's really cool. Speaking of breakdowns, that kind of moves us into our uh, case note 3.5. Mm-hmm. Malcolm ends his relationship with Zaya. Just a little mini note, because we probably need to talk a little bit about Malcolm and where he's ending the series, I suppose, because we haven't seen himself and Zaya together for a while. Um, I kind of like that she pops over to the house to collect her stuff. And in the background, Eric's sister is kind of walking past asking for some hot sauce kind of thing. I think that's quite a funny little line. Hot between sauce coming through. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I love Zaya's comment effectively you know i didn't just come here to get some old dirty underwear and a bad toothbrush i came here to have a conversation and he's kind of pushing her out the door going yeah yeah we'll do that later yeah, right get out <laughs> someone in the background get out you know? yeah barry wants her noodles drenching with hot sauce mm-hmm. yes she does so i'm glad this happened i think barry is probably a better fit for the new or the end of malcolm mm-hmm. to a degree just based on who he wanted to be um but also, it was just so awkward. It was, yes. Yeah. It was, and it's designed and written that way, and it was filmed perfectly because it gave you that, oh, cringeworthy, just like, oh no, this is like your two exes, your ex and your new girlfriend meeting for the first time. And it's just <laughs> never a good thing. No. Yeah. And I think as well, you know, it goes badly because ultimately Malcolm says, I sabotaged it. He actually mm-hmm. tells Zaya, I sabotaged the relationship. Yeah. And then, you know, because of that, you have Barry saying, no, he's one of the good guys. That's, uh, for me, that's why she can, with her experience and with him just saying that, goes, you fooled another one. Because most people think that the sun shines out of his proverbial backside. Um, And I, I really liked how, in a sense, Malcolm sabotaged himself put the final nail in the coffin uh, of Zaya uh, because, you know, he goes, I sabotaged it. You're right. Yeah, I absolutely love that that's the end of the relationship and that's the way they set it up. It's effectively Malcolm has ruined everything that he kind of built himself up to without, throughout season two. We see a final end for Malcolm as the episode goes on. We see where he's going to end up in the future of this world, effectively. Um, but it's nice that they've kind of finished that whole storyline, effectively. He, he reached way above his station. Not that his station couldn't have been as the leader of a law firm that's no problem at all but by reaching to this area he'd gone to the deepest depths and he'd also hinged himself onto a woman who effectively modeled jerry hogarth as her personal hero both of those things were really bad for malcolm they were probably worse than heroin so it's nice that he ends off just going back with 
a reasonably normal person like Barry and setting up his life the way he sets it up towards the end of the episode. So nice to close it all out that way. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think we've spoken of nails in coffins, but now to our the final coffin for Trish Walker, Case Note 4. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she gets a really interesting themed bed. <laughs> it's like she's going into the little house of horror or something like that. It's a, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? You know, this this promise effectively comes from Jerry Hogarth that she can do anything. She's able to get the right people involved, and then that realization comes across her as you see from the kind of phone calls she makes to sort out this escape from the U.S. Trish Walker. That realization comes across her that well, maybe she's not as good as she thinks. Maybe she may have to deal with some even more nefarious people than she thought of before. And then the realization that actually Trish Walker is very difficult to get out of the country. So she uses someone that she's never dealt with before. And what they actually are doing is sticking Trish into a coffin or sticking people into coffins to get them on board planes and dropped off in Thailand. Um, I, I kind of like this. It, it kind of feels like Jerry Hogarth doesn't generally get herself down into the dirt of what she arranges. In the past, she sent Malcolm and loads of other people off to do her bidding and do the things she wants to do, but doesn't really want to know how. And I like this moment here where she realizes by sending Trish out of the country, it means she's going to be stuck in a coffin for 17 hours aboard a plane. It actually provides a little bit of humanity to Hogarth again. <laughs> kind of, is there another way that we can do this? You know, I think that's quite interesting. And for anyone who's flown coach, yeah, he's pretty much the same. We're in the same <laughs> amount of space. I, I, I like this. The, there's a couple of lines here that brought back the human element, particularly that you can lose the wig. These guys are paid enough not to care. Mm-hmm. Like, I like that because the, the red hair was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, ooh, that they're making a play of the, her Hellcat hair. Um, it was, I liked how they planned to get her out. Jerry even kind of goes, are you the person I'm supposed to be speaking to? Because she's never gone. She, As you said, she doesn't get in the dirt herself. She has people, yeah. like anyone else, Malcolm would be doing this any other yeah. time. Yeah. So it's now that it's her, she has to pull this in. It's interesting that she knows weapon smugglers. I'd like to see that backstory. It's mm-hmm. been interesting. Just kind of like, which client was smuggling weapons did she get off kind of thing. You know, it has to be who would have been, who would have known people who smuggle weapons. It's got to be Turk Barrett, right? Yeah, actually, that would be brilliant. <laughs> it would have been cool to see a phone call to Turk and him going, yeah. oh, fine, yeah, I know a guy, go here, blah. Exactly. Like, it, we would have gone, oh, Turk, you made it to every series ever. Yeah, would have been so uh, good. That's he is she- our watcher, he is our Stan Lee, he, he is our cameo. Yes, yeah, he was but, off working on, on uh, Stranger Things season three, I think, at the time. So. And also, Jerry knows how to get rid of, uh, you know, a bumped off bit of uh, antique or artwork as well. So, yeah. like, Jerry's got some really dark stuff going she on does. here, let alone just herself mm-hmm. uh, and how she treats Kith. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, you know, Coffin for Trish Walker was uh, a really good touch. I really like that. And I think as well, it just... Um, the, the ensuing battle, ultimately, that happens between Trish and uh, Jessica, you know, massively important that this is where Jessica understands what it is that she has to sacrifice to mm-hmm. be a hero. Even if she doesn't stick at it, the fact that she is a hero for that m- moment, in that moment, what she's got to sacrifice, the whole conversation with Luke Cage at, at the start... I think is really, really important. And I think what's really nice is that in the same way, what results from Costa 
reeling off all the things that um, Trish has done when Jessica finally wins that fight um, is that realization of how you become the bad person, the bad guy. Uh, It is really nice. I mean, part of me was like, that's a little on the nose for Trish to be sat there and go, am I the bad guy? You know, it felt that was a little meta, maybe mm. uh, a little bit too, maybe much for, for this kind of show. But I think at the same time to have her say it, I think you said this when we had this conversation about it was really important, you know, that Trish needed to verbalize yeah. this because she couldn't think it. She had to say it because her mind wouldn't let her process it. So I, I really like that. And, and just for the record, you know, it is two counts of murder in the first degree, one count of murder in the second degree, one count of attempted murder, multiple break-ins, a kidnapping. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we're like, ah, oh, Trish will get over it. No, no, she's a crazy fool. Absolutely. She's going <laughs> to prison for a long, long time, yeah. But I think that's the point, isn't it, that that is having that list of offences against you when you think all you're doing is right, when you think you're in the right, um, having all those attempted murder charges levelled against you, you do probably realise in that moment, oh, actually, you're probably right there. And I did actually kill two people. So I am a murderer. So, yeah, maybe I am the bad guy. You know, maybe that that is the moment (laughs) of realisation. Wouldn't it be awesome if Iron Man had the same treatment? Or like Thor... One counts of complete destruction of Lower Manhattan, (laughs) uh, billions of deaths, Mm -hmm. let alone Thanos. Wow, okay. Maybe Thanos. Maybe one of the bad guys, John. Yeah. Yeah. So I I, I kind of deviate. (laughs) It is the Civil War. Jacoby Accords. That's what we got. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved this fight. This, for me, was one of the best fights. Ah, yeah. Just the ending. All because of the ending which is Trish attacking her with a knife and Jess knowing she can stop her and just taking the knife in the hand. Yeah, yeah. Like, that, just badassery. (laughs) Like, it was just, like, I I wasn't expecting that as the end. Mm -hmm. And just getting that and then just basically tossing, flinging Trish. Just like, you tried to kill me. That's the moment. That's the bit where... Just like, okay, you're my sister and you just tried to kill me. If I hadn't have blocked that. Yeah, absolutely. It's the open jaw moment, isn't it? It's like the, I mean, wow factor is not kind of the right thing to say, but it's kind of just what, so she has. It's when, even though you get the roll call of what she's done later on, that's Mm -hmm. when you realize she is completely gone off the rails because she's gone to kill her sister. Yeah. You know, her only kind of relative, really, after the death of her mum earlier in the season. So you just realise how completely uh, she has become unhinged by, you know, whether it was Salinger or the side effect or avenging um, the death of her mum. You know, all of these have taken effect. But I love how Jessica sort of turns that around to say, um, but you had it all along. You know, Dorothy effectively bet into her that resolve to go with with a way of doing things even if it wasn't right 
Yeah. Or if it was right, or if it was somewhere in between. But mm-hmm. you would just keep at it, that persistent resolve. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think that moment where Trish stabs Jessica is the moment that she realises that she's the bad guy. That is that moment where she goes, oh, actually, maybe I have gone too far. I know Jessica stops her, but I think Trish stops fighting at that point as well. Uh, it's not just because Jessica is as strong as she is that she ends the fight. I think Trish is kind of done. She's going, uh-oh. Actually, maybe this is too far. Uh, I will also have to call out the camera work in that uh, hallway fight that they have. Hallway fights are a staple of the Marvel Netflix shows. But as uh, Trish kicks off the lights and we see Jessica through the vision of Trish, it really reminded me of back in season one of Daredevil when you get to see what the vision of Daredevil is like. It's very different. It's not, not the same at all, but it has that reminiscence about it that you have this person that sees the world differently which is part of the character, I suppose, as well. But uh, I think it's really well shot, really, really cool. Yeah, I really liked that uh, fight scene. I thought it was really nice. Again, Trish does that great move where she runs up the wall to give a kick to, to Jessica. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was, yeah, that was really, really nice. And, and just how Jessica kind of then takes the punch so that she can grab her and exactly. chuck it out through back into the warehouse. Yeah. I thought it was really, really nicely done. Yeah, great... Uh, Great fight. Yeah, really, really good. And as this is a season finale, there was obviously lots of wrap-ups. So our case note number five is just one more thing. Our first kind of bit of wrap-up really is Kith coming to say thank you and goodbye to Hogarth. So we weren't exactly right about Kith's intentions throughout the series. We were kind of hoping there was going to be something a lot deeper here between Kith and Jerry, that potentially Kith was using Jerry to get her out of a situation but I'm quite impressed that this is how it turns out, that effectively Kith goes, I know I, I know you were using me to be there for you for the rest of your life, but I'm not going to be, and you're going to be alone. That's your payment. That's your the cost of what you've done, effectively. Yeah, I love that she goes, you don't want to die alone, but you will do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is like, that is cold as ice, dare I say it. Um, <laughs> that That is proper... Ice dagger in the back whilst on a frosty lake. Or something. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, we are all singing "Cold as Ice" at the moment in our heads, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'm even bobbing along to it in the video. <laughs> the ice, you're willing to sacrifice your love. Oh yeah. But speaking of cold, Hogarth's response to her is also pretty cold for a woman that she wanted to spend the rest of her yeah. life with when she says, you're the last mistake I'll ever make. It has two meanings, of course. Hogarth's about to die, so she feels she probably doesn't have that many mistakes left in her life. But it's still a pretty atrocious thing to say to a woman that you thought was going to be the, the person that will be there for the rest of your life for you. 100%. So, as you said, we were slightly off on how it worked. I'm glad they ended it the way they did. But, oh my God, I really wanted to see where that went because how does Jerry Hogarth the character who we've seen been pretty bad get worse get colder like can you imagine just taking everything we know of what Jerry has done over the course of three seasons mm-hmm. taking into account her good and her bad you don't want her colder you don't want her not being like you in anything we wanted to hum, not humanize her more but basically breathe that breath of humanity back into her mm. that breath of humanity and her belief in humanity is gone yeah it's been yeah. extinguished she may only have six months to live but my god the damage she will do in those six months oh okay I, I think I think she's done I think this is it I think this is Kith giving her a kick 
as she walks out the door and Hogarth can hardly hold up a cup anymore. She's all, she's almost done and has no one to take care of her. I think this is it. I think if you had another series, you could have done another story, another storyline with Hogarth. But I think that's the point of the scene is saying, that's it. You're done. Bye bye. I'm out and you're going to die alone. No more story for Hogarth. <laughs> I think that's kind of where we are here. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's that. I think, you know, she's it's over for Hogarth. She's not got what she wanted. I, I think that is, yeah, it's pure spite. It's pure reactive spite uh, to Kith, ultimately giving it as she should do. Mm-hmm. Uh, however cold as ice, uh, she 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 gives it. Mm-hmm. And she's willing to sacrifice. To sacrifice. <laughs> exactly. But speaking of lack of love, or if you want to call it that way, because I'm loving my segues at this moment, Jess becomes a bona fide hero because we get the final Eric and Jess moments in this. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric does turn up uh, with, what was it, medical first aid or uh, Chinese. Mm-hmm. Which one do you want, your legs? Yep. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not quite sure what you do with uh, kind of Kung Pao chicken uh, on your uh, bullet wound leg. Mm-hmm. Um, but sure, if that's a thing, you guys go. Everyone has their... That's cool. Uh, we now know Eric is a foodie. Um, but moving on, we get this nice scene where he wants to evolve their relationship with Jess. But you can you see Jess start to go, you're a good man but I don't trust you, mm-hmm. which is a hundred percent fair because he has done some slightly reprehensible things in the season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see that she kind of goes, you change, change and come back to me and yeah. then we'll see where it is. You need to, and he even then admits, he goes, okay, I need to become your hero. So it, it's fun to see that it's not just shutting down the walls completely. It's, She's building a fence. You can still see through it, but he needs to prove himself to walk through the door. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And she also sets up a meeting between him and Detective Costa. So Costa now has a superpowered person that can be massively useful uh, to him, which is really good. I would have loved to see this procedural if they had spun this off. If this had a stayed, Gelden and Costa, that would have been an amazing spin-off procedural. Mm-hmm. Solving cases every day, getting drunk, your your odd couple. I actually would have liked that. That could have been something cool in my head because I'm like, I like Costa. I like, he, he's a nice, he's the good cop stuck in a world trying to color outside the lines, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And you have Eric, the the unwitting, not wanting to be hero, uh, slightly dim-witted in social norms, drinking heavily. It could have been cool. It feels but, like the Angel spinoff of Buffy, yeah. Yeah, it would have, like, who knows where it could have gone. Mm-hmm. But you get that nice scene where he goes, that kid in the red, what did he do? Yeah. I don't know, that's up to you. And it's, uh, then Eric walks out, well, he still didn't pay for his uh, kind of drink, by the way. <laughs> Costa had to get that tip. That's on the NYPD now, you know, they're working yeah. for each other. Yeah, no, it was really good, this. I, I, I'm like you, Chris, I wanted to see the cop show mm-hmm. of Eric and Costa. I thought, I thought that was a really nice touch of Jessica, because I have to say, I was like, me me was sad, um, to be honest, uh, when they could kind of don't get it together, even though, as you say, I think that's like the best metaphor you could use. You can see through the fence, and you may open the gate to go through, but at the moment, that that fence is being put up between us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I was really kind of sad that sort of Eric and Jessica were no more. I think, you know, 
foodie antics was quite fun uh, in the series from these two. Uh, and, and, you know, Eric, for being brought in in the final season, just, for me, connected anyway. I, I really, really liked him. So that, I thought that was a little Jessica of, of old for sure. And maybe given the the really last scene with her maybe she goes straight back and says no costa he's all mine kind of thing so you never know but uh yeah i then when it moved on where she kind of sets up these two i thought that was a nice little touch as well mm-hmm. yeah a, a quick one uh with malcolm uh malcolm gets the keys to alias investigations uh yeah. whether he deserves them given uh what has just transpired with Zaya is another matter entirely, or whether he gets to hold them for very long. If yeah. Jessica does actually come back from the bus station, uh, she might go uh, yoink as she takes <laughs> them back uh, off him. But I suspect he will be employed as her fixer and investigator as well. I yeah. can certainly see them teaming up again. I think it's quite cool, and I think this is probably one of those scenes that was added when they knew this was the last show in all of the Defenders shows, because we really get a look around all of the Alias Investigation set as Jessica's packing up her stuff. We get every room represented as she goes into every room and takes all of her clothes. The only thing that stood out to me in this episode was Gillian wasn't around, and I don't know why. There was there was no sense to it. They'd put that bulletin out for Trish uh, to be picked up, that she was the mass vigilante, and all we had was Malcolm, Eric, and Jessica working in Elias Investigations, te- fielding these calls and checking Twitter and checking the hashtags. And it felt weird that you wouldn't have Gillian in here. Yeah, that's true. Um, it, just because she's been so central for the show and been really there all the time, you'd expect her to be there in that final episode. Maybe just in Elias Investigations, then she comes along lock, stock and, and barrels with Elias Investigations from Malcolm. You know, maybe that's the, the final little gag that we have. But it was just a bit of a shame not to see her in there. Yeah, I agree. I think um, there was that suggestion that she was going to up and leave and quit anyway because mm-hmm. she wasn't being paid enough for it to be danger money. So maybe there was a bit of that, but I, I do. That kind of got resolved, I thought. Yeah, so I was half expecting to see sort of Gillian there. Maybe, you know, Malcolm gets the keys, Jessica walks one way down the corridor, Malcolm the other way, in he walks, and there's Gillian with a quick one-liner to say, all right, Romeo, or mm-hmm. something like that. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So the 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 fan fiction in my head Jeez. had and uh, had an end credit scene where basically it faded to black as uh, basically Jess walks back to the camera. You hear a phone ringing. You hear Gillian answer going alias investigations. Okay, I'll put you through to the boss, and then you have both Malcolm and Jess reaching for the phone mm-hmm. to try and take it. Because I, I, I'm with you. Like She was an integral part to this season. Yeah. So she's actually one of the storylines we don't get closed. We get Costa closed. We know what's happened to him. Yeah. It's a shame not to see her go. But I suppose maybe there must have been a reason for it. Maybe scheduling. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, but yeah, it, it, it's a bit of a sad bit. Absolutely. Speaking of a sad bit, because I'm really digging all my segues right now. And Derek is rolling his eyes at all of the segues. Um the the one of the heartbreaking moments is when we see Jess watch Trish as she's carted onto the helicopter towards mm-hmm. the raft. Yeah. Um it's a beautiful scene. The voiceover from Jess is amazing. I will say one thing. Based on the 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 voiceover, Trish looking over, I there was a split second where I'm like Jess is going to drop her bags, jump, grab Trish 
and they're going to run away together. Really? Like, there, it was because the way she was, yeah, the yeah. way she was talking about, like, family is important, you need to stick together, start over. Mm-hmm. And using the word start over, I'm like, oh, she's going to grab Trish. Right. Like, she thinks that she needs Trish. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, is that how they're going to end it? Mm. That her and Trish are on the run? Sisters like Bonnie and Clyde or Thelma and Louise? Mm-hmm. I'm glad they went with the way they went because you do see that resignation in Trish's eyes when she looks out through the window. Yeah, there's a moment where I think just before she gets on the helicopter that you see Trish look over and notice Jessica's there. She seems to give her a bit of a smile of acceptance, kind of like it it feels like a it feels like a moment of Jessica actually did do the right thing here. And now I realize that I'd gone too far. It, it's all just sold in one look and the music. I think the, the music that's chosen here is, is from season one. I think the, the instrumental that's playing over the top, um, it's absolutely beautiful. And yeah, it's really choice. good. The, the, the setting of the scene as the final time we see these two sisters who've been so much a part of each other's life back from season one. I think the setting of the scene is fantastic. Really, really good. So I took the smile as, oh, you're here to save me. And then she's in the helicopter looking out at Jess as they take off, going, why aren't you say? Why aren't you saving me? Okay, like that's where I took from it, and it was that acceptance at the very last as they fly. I was like, oh, um, part of me, again, part of me. These are all things going through my head because I thought that was the very end scene. Mm-hmm. I was expecting to get a bit of a kind of Matrix end of Matrix moment okay. where you see. I remember in the end, very last final scene of The Matrix, yeah. Neo puts his hand and then jumps and flies off. And we get that amazing, wow, 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 like Rage the Against sun. the Machine. Yeah. yeah, I was expecting to get a bit of Flying Jess, like just to get, you know, she's jumping, she's accepted it. and Or just jumping Jess, just kind of, she has her bags, <laughs> the helicopter taken off, and she just goes, whoosh. <laughs> like the final bit okay. and I was like ah, oh, that could have been cool you could have had her flying after the helicopter jumping yeah. after the helicopter or jumping in the air and she should really fly to El Paso rather than get the bus was it the bus or the train or something whatever it was she, she goes to the bus station yeah I'm so glad that Melissa Rosenberg decided to give us a proper ending for the show this is what we were promised at the beginning of the season that we would get an end to the Jessica Jones saga effectively and it's effectively Jessica going to this purple-themed bus station. <laughs> Definitely a couple of little indicators if you're watching closely to the show. And these guys have done this all the way back to season one of Daredevil using colour to pick up your eye. And there's a guy sitting uh, on a bench just as Jessica walks in who's wearing a purple scarf with a shaved head. You'll see him if you haven't seen him the first time. And then you see a woman in a purple coat walking past as Jessica looks at the timetable. And then you see the timetable from the the ticket seller and the timetable he's looking at is purple. Then the ticket he sells her is purple. And then you hear the voiceover. Then you hear the Jessica, the little noise. Yeah, of you get the purple lighting on mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it's really, really nicely done. Although I hadn't picked up on the the purple scarf, coat uh, and computer screen until watching it again. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, really nice here. Uh, and, and it's a, it's a really great, end actually i think to to the show because it it brings you right back to that psychological attrition that jessica has yeah uh, with kilgrave in season one but at the same time it's her taking this stand against him exactly him as thoughts in her head uh, uh, telling her to give up uh, leave everything 
you know, give in. Um, and she decides to, you know, in, in what has become Jessica is to make that stand and to not let him win. And I thought that was really, really good uh, and really fitting ending to to the series. Yeah, absolutely. And because most importantly, this isn't Kilgrave, obviously. This yeah, is not, yeah, absolutely. This is not someone arriving back from the dead. This is once again Jessica going, this is what Kilgrave would have wanted me to do is walk away from all my responsibilities, leave them to somebody else, get out of this town and never look back. That's a Kilgrave idea. That's a Kilgrave thing that he would have wanted me to do. I'm going to stay here and keep on living as the song is playing overhead. It's a lovely ending for Jessica Jones, I think. Not her walking away from anything. No, exactly. It's her walking into the fire. Um, Back to the, the craze that is New York, that is what everything else. So I can't... I was going to say I can't have asked for more. Part of me always can ask for more because this was mm-hmm. a character, a fantastic character, a fantastic set of characters. Um, am I happy? Yeah, it, this was the ending was well shot, beautiful. Um, I tried to look at the clock um, because it was stopped at like a very particular time, and I, in my head, I was like, "That's something." No, it wasn't. It was just like, I was like, (laughs) is that like a comic book number or something important? No, I couldn't find anything. So if any of our eagle-eyed fellow defenders got something there, um, it was just, I'm happy. I'm happy with that last shot. Yeah, it was a beautifully shot scene as well, wasn't it? As as she hears the voice, you see the entire bus station clear out of all of the people behind her. Yeah. And then as she makes her decision to stay, you see everybody returning to the scene. It's like a stage moment. It's like a stage play that they've set up this moment of thought within Jessica's head of making that final decision. I've got to stay here. And one of the reasons she's got to stay is Luke gave her at the beginning of the episode. I need you to put me down if I go back. She knows she has a responsibility to other people. All of her friends around her know that she's needed there. Yeah. Um, so I, I do love that she makes this decision to close it out. That's the end of our top five for the final episode of Jessica Jones season three. Any notes, anything we haven't talked about, guys? No, not from me. Nope, nothing from my side. I think I've covered most of it. Excellent. Let's get on to our defense then. Chris, do you defend Jessica Jones season three, episode 13, a.k.a. everything? A.k.a. everything, everything, and everyone. This was an amazing ending. Uh, I completely defend this episode. Um, it tied up everything. It tied up the characters. Well, most of them, aside from Gillian. Um, I feel there was one or two things that I would have preferred. But again, this is just headcanon for me. Like It's like, oh, well, if I was in a chair of writing, I, I'd do this. Or if I was in a director chair, I'd do this. Um, just because... I, I, I'm so invested in these characters. So, yes, I completely defend this. And for all the reason we've said above, for me, this is potentially one of the best seasons of Marvel TV. Um, it, I don't want to say the best because there is some caveats to it. Because for me, this season and this episode could not have been done without three seasons of content, three seasons of character backstory and development to get you where you wanted um so yeah i completely defend this john on that note do you defend jessica jones season three episode 13 i really really do yeah um i thought this was a fantastic final episode and that's why i'm giving it five patsy drag queens out of five (laughs) um I, i i thought this was this was kind of just 
perfect for me. Mm-hmm. It covered off everyone uh, that we've grown to care for um, and love to shock you even more about those people because of how low they can continue to go with Jerry Hogarth and how um, changed they can go with respect to Trish and how high they can soar with regards to Jessica finally realizing with a few little nudges from, you know, these begrudging friends of hers, whether it's Eric or Costa or Luke Cage, tying it back to season one, um, how much she is her own person and she can do things um, and be this heroic um, woman, you know, saving people. And I I like how they brought back Kilgrave in the mind of Jessica Mm -hmm. as well. You know, Uh, I mean, what a stamp he made in season one. And I think ultimately here, you know, the, the evolution of this series, you've got the stamp of all of those people around Jessica and Jessica on this final season. So I thought this was a real kind of family affair, really, um, of, of all these great characters, uh, interacting and coming to the conclusion of their storyline. Uh, so yeah, I absolutely defend AKA everything, uh, the final episode of Jessica Jones. Derek, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones, a.k.a. everything? <laughs> no doubt. This is one of the best finales of any of the shows that have been that have come from Marvel Netflix. Um, I can categorically say this is my favorite character of the Marvel Netflix shows, probably because it was the first one that I didn't know a huge amount of at the beginning and fell in love with her in the first season. And she's the last one out the door. She's the one that gets to switch off the lights on Marvel Netflix. But it's done so well. Bringing in my, one of my second favorite characters, Luke Cage, into the final episode is a lovely surprise to tie everything about their relationship up together. It's just great. Really, really enjoyed it. There's so much good stuff in this final episode. And it has that moment of pause. It has that moment of saying goodbye to these all of these shows that probably adds a little bit to it. I didn't feel pandered to throughout the season by that, but it felt like it was hanging over and they did a great job to stick the landing. Always oh, stick the landing. Uh, yeah, excellent final season of Jessica Jones. Yes, and a superhero landing it was. It certainly was. It certainly was. We have got tons of feedback for our final episode of Defenders TV Podcast. Let's get into the feedback section. Chris, do you want to read the first email from Alex Anderson? Yes, Alex had this to say. As far as the series finales go, I'd have to say that this is one of the best I've ever seen. It closed out a wonderful three-season arc for all the main characters in a meaningful, satisfying way for me. I'm sad that this is the end and there will never be any more from these characters that we've been watching across all the Marvel Netflix universe for so long now. But as the end credits rolled and the song so perfectly started with the lines, keep on living. I felt some happiness in the fact that somewhere out there, the greater Marvel universe, our heroes are on the streets of New York, are still there fighting evil and living on in our hearts and our minds forever and ever. Thank you guys so much for your work you put in covering these wonderful shows. It has always been great to listen to you. And best of luck in whatever the future brings. Always your fellow defender, Alex Anderson. Thank you, Alex. Uh, agree with you. Keep on living. This was an amazing way to end out everything. And yeah, no, we will have you guys in our hearts going forward and in our minds. But don't worry, we're not going far. We'll be covering some additionally other wonderful shows. 
Thanks so much for that, Alex. Really good of you to send in that feedback to us. It's one of the big accomplishments, really, for the Marvel Netflix shows is just creating that idea that even though we may never see these characters again, just the idea that they could be out on the streets battling in this universe that we may not see again in the TV shows. It's kind of cool that we get that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can't agree with you more, Alex, about how it was a real wonderful closeout to three great seasons. Uh, and thank you very much for your kind words. I think there will always be fellow defenders uh, on our podcasts. Absolutely. Um, our second email comes in from at the 108th Sage. Welcome back. She says, greetings again, lovely gentlemen. It's the 108th Sage again, writing from across the bond. Well, I've not written in for several seasons now, and I still haven't seen the last seasons of Daredevil, Punisher, or Jessica Jones, but I will soon enough. It's just that to combat the TV creep, as my time to do any of my creative work was eaten away by more and more examples of this being the golden age of television, I have instituted a must-finish one season before you can begin another policy, which has caused a bit of a backlog. Anywho, I didn't want this magical time taken away all too soon when Daughters of the Dragon was being built to with such elegant artistry to pass without me saying how much I've enjoyed and will continue to enjoy as I hear coverage of those last three seasons of the Marvel Netflix shows, the contributions of each of you to this excellent endeavour. From John's remarkable recaps to Chris's passion and knowledge about the characters, not to mention Derek's expert hosting co-host wrangling talents. You've all been a treat to listen to. I'll definitely be following you into Good Omens, The Boys, and whatever else you decide to cover, not to mention diving into your Gotham Pack catalogue as I finally get around to season two on that show. Anywho, I'll let you go and start watching something soon. 108. Thank you so much, 108 Sage. So good to hear from you. It's been a while. Yeah, I'm really uh, happy that you are going to join us with Good Omens and The Boys, uh, and of course, all the other stuff uh, that we do over on TV Podcast Industries. Uh, I'm really glad that you like the remarkable recaps. Uh, I, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it's always good to hear uh, the feedback. And uh, yes, this golden age of television has brought us a wonderful series of Marvel Netflix collaborations, even though maybe... Um, it, possibly didn't end so well ultimately in the end between the two organizations right. <laughs> uh, rather than on the shows i think that the shows have really shown the professionalism and hard work of everyone involved mm -hmm. absolutely truly golden age of television is giving us loads and loads of stuff to talk about <laughs> yes thank you so much 108 yes derek is an amazing wrangler you should see him tie us up if we actually start getting out of line mm -hmm. um, there's definitely a vision for everyone. Um, but no, on a serious note, no, thank you for listening. And please, look, as you go through your own backlog and you're re-listening to us, don't forget to pop over to TV Podcast Industries and let us know your thoughts. If you agreed what we said in that episode or didn't, always good place for a bit of discussion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yep. Yeah. Keep sending those emails into us. Always good to hear from you. Yeah, our final email is from Tina Brown. She goes, hello, I really wanted to post this on Facebook, but it's more of a look back at the whole season and some thoughts on the entire Jessica Jones series. So I wasn't sure where to post it. Well, you posted it the right email, uh, Tina, for sure. Tina says, with an assist from a heat wave on the east coast of the US... I know how you feel. It's roasting here as well in, mm -hmm. in Switzerland at the moment. And I believe Chris is also melting in Ireland with the, the high temperatures. So we truly will be um, a fiery ball hurtling through space very soon. Sorry, I digress. Tina goes, I've been able to go back and rewatch a great deal of seasons one and two. And I have thoughts. Mm -hmm. 
First of all, this is a fantastic show. I love noir. The Thin Man is one of my all-time favorite books. The way this entire show is shot and presented are what made me check out the Marvel Netflix shows in the first place. Season 3 was quite nearly flawless. We got more of the noir staples, PI work, great VOs, the hooker with a heart of gold, helpful and not-so-helpful cops, good guys, not-so-good guys who aren't too bad, bad guys who can still have moments of good, and flat-out sociopaths enthralling. Mm -hmm. I do have a small nitpick that I would love more opinions on because I don't know if I'm being too critical. Sometimes I wish the writers would trust us more. I think I pointed this out last season, but it's almost as if they need to constantly reinforce that Jessica is the good guy, just in case the audience has begun to wonder. We have a beautiful painting of Jessica. See, audience, her soul is pure. Eric can be with Jessica. They can even have sex, because Jessica is a good person. Jessica's moral compass could turn Kilgrave around. Luke has forgiven Jessica because she was not at fault. It's a bit on the nose, and what's weird is they don't do it with everyone. Jerry is all over the place, but we are never asked to judge her or put her neatly in a box. I wish the writers would trust us to make those calls, or even not make them. The show having a morally ambiguous protagonist might make it richer, but I guess they feel like they do that with Frank Castle, so they cannot do that here. That's a really good uh, call out, I think, Tina here. I think it's a really interesting idea and angle. And I think you've got some really good examples. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I never actually thought about it that way. I'd always kind of thought of, because the way the show was being set up at the beginning for these four main protagonists meeting up in Defenders, they had to kind of set them at a level-ish playing field that Jessica is also a good guy. Um, but I also think throughout the show, a lot of the examples and a lot of the moments that you're talking about are where it's revealing to Jessica that she's a good person, that she should stop punishing herself for being a bad person or for thinking that she's a bad person. So I think it might be a little bit of that just kind of airing over in the writing to push the audience to make sure they know that she's a good person as well. But I think a lot of the times it's, it's just Jessica being told that she's a good guy. Same way, same thing they do with Daredevil as well, telling him that he's not as bad as he as he thinks he is uh, a lot of the time. I think that that's because she's using her own mind a lot. She's not depending on other people to yeah. tell her that. You probably get a little bit more of a feeling in that in the show. I also think that they, they're writing, the writers themselves are writing for a very broad audience. Mm-hmm. So I, I see where you're coming from, Tina, and I, I, I actually agree. It's some great examples. When you're writing for this level of syndication or audience, I, th- I think uh, sometimes they literally need to put the writing on the wall because not everyone is going to get it. And I'm not talking just about this, but I think it's you need to do that on the nose. You, yeah. you Everyone knows me and my cliches. Um, and it's just sometimes they're, they're needed. They're a cliche because they're a cliche. Yeah, and there is also that one weird thing about Netflix that I don't think they've ever accomplished on any show, which is not everybody watches all 13 episodes back to back. So sometimes they have to say something and nail it on the head in case you only watched three and then went away for a month and came back to the show. Sometimes they have to say a line an extra time that you probably wouldn't do if someone was sitting down watching a two-hour movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or if you watched episode four and five back-to-back and suddenly you're going, I just saw that. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true, actually, because you don't know how people consume these yeah. shows maybe it's just have a reminder here, have a reminder yeah. here, and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. But great points, though, Tina. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, Tina continues with, for the most part, the arc of the entire series is really incredible because so many of the tracks of Trisha's storyline have been laid. Mm -hmm. Her superhero envy of Jessica starts in the first season. She even wears a costume. Her training so as not to be helpless. In season two, we get more of not only her addiction, but see her textbook, addictive personality traits. Mm -hmm. She's drawn to dangerous situations, vacillation from feelings of superiority and inferiority, and constantly falling into excess even the boredom with her show and her success. Jessica's mom points out again in a bit too much on the nose that everyone will either put them on a pedestal or be jealous of them. We see this all play out. If only all TV and movie storylines had so much care behind them. Mm -hmm. Which brings me to another point. What the hell happened with Jerry? (laughs) I think they were going for not all people are either good or bad, black or white, etc. early on. Jerry is an outrageously ambitious egotist ready to draw outside the lines, but she's still someone who will take Hope's case. She's still someone who Danny trusts, not that Danny is the best judge, but still. By the end of season two, I will proudly say that I was clapping for Jerry when she walks out of that meeting with everything she wanted and starts her own firm. What happens next? I think the writers may have been going for a person might change if they're staring death in the face, but it doesn't really work. I kind of like that being near death doesn't necessarily mean someone will become good or enlightened like they do in fiction. Mm -hmm. A person may become depressed or even self-destructive, which they did in season two, but I don't know what they're going for in season three. If it's all about, I want what I want when I want it because I'm dying, I could get that. But they muddy this up in so many ways with the defense of Salinger's storyline. The damage on her firm is self-inflicted and she has to spend so much time cleaning it up. We lose track of the long-lost love story. For me, it was disappointing. Finally, my last point has to do with how so many of the Netflix shows in my mind hinge on their villains. Kilgrave and Fisk were the best with Mariah running a close third Mm -hmm. and the seasons in which they featured are the strongest. And it sure doesn't hurt that the actors who portrayed those characters are all uniquely wonderful standouts on stage and on screen. The series stumble when they don't have a great antagonist, in my honest opinion. Jessica's mum was not great and the season lagged. Luke, more than any other series, again, in my opinion, needed stronger villains because Luke himself is not terribly layered, at least to the point in his story that we saw. Matt Murdock is quite complex and we will say right now I'm a huge Electra fan, both the character and the phenomenal actress, but it was getting a bit ninja cannon fodder heavy in the second (laughs) season. Absolutely. Um, The last season of Iron Fist was the best because you got two great villains. And by the way, did you notice that when Trish has her foot against Jerry's throat, her hair was very reminiscent of Mary's? (laughs) Interesting. I didn't notice that. We did notice that the dojo looks like the same set as uh, Colleen Wing's um, dojo. It It looks really similar. Sorry, um, Trish's high date looks very similar to the dojo. Yeah. And I thought it was the strongest. I've got to say, I didn't love Salinger. Definitely came across as Dexter Light for me. Mm -hmm. And the actor, while good, is no Michael C. Hall. I think the show did a lot more tell than show with him. Mm -hmm. We see his diplomas and everyone says how incredibly smart he is. 
but I didn't necessarily see any evidence of him outthinking his enemies or using his skills to further murder Korea. <laughs> Jessica flat out tips him off that she has evidence on him and he capitalizes on her mistake. That's not being particularly brilliant, just opportunistic. I also didn't believe that he left no trace of evidence behind on those bodies or crime scenes, and I had a hard time hand-waving that. Forensics is so advanced, I couldn't swallow that one. I could buy him as a sociopathic serial killer. He definitely brings the creepy, but I could not buy him as a genius of crime. And despite that, I still loved season three. So I chalked that up to great overall storytelling and incredible performances. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Would love to hear it. If you could do a roundup of each series, maybe in one podcast. Pretty please. Best, Tina Brown. Thank you, Tina, so much for that really in-depth view on this season and the other seasons of Jessica Jones and comparing some of the other um, shows as well, like Iron Fist and Daredevil. It's really good to get um, those thoughts because, I mean, I really enjoyed Salinger. I liked how they positioned him. So I I think, yeah, maybe the, the forensic thing, you know, you could kind of say maybe that wouldn't really happen. But I think they positioned him as this driver for the storylines of Jessica, Dorothy and Trish and how that played out in such a way, which I just don't think they did with, say, Jessica's mom in season two. Mm -hmm. But I I kind of feel that Jessica two makes more sense with Jessica three. So, yeah, I mean, there are so many um, different linkages. And I, I think that comes to your point that if all TV shows were this well crafted, it would be amazing. And, you know, I hear sometimes um, from people, you know, reviewing these, these shows, how, um, Oh, well, you know, they, they, they didn't really like them. It wasn't MCU enough or or something like that, but they're just completely different and they have their own unique thing. And, you know, they'll say that they dragged or something. Well, you know, this is a, a book. You know, if you think of The Wire, it, it, it should be viewed as novel TV, you know, a TV in a book um, or a book on TV um, or a comic strip on TV. And the, it takes time and it's great to have characters fleshed out. I think a lot of that character development, um, you wouldn't be kind of shouting at the screen when Trish goes for her own sister because you've you've come up with her you've seen the signs but you've always wanted her to be jessica's sidekick not the person that jessica is ending up to fight yeah, so yeah. like it, it's it it really pays off in how you get these different views from the audience which is the great thing about it this range of different views absolutely yeah and tina thanks so much for your feedback yeah once again i think there's this thing about the marvel netflix shows where everybody thinks they know how they're going to go and they did exactly the same thing on the show that they've done on many other shows but you we may have missed it as we were talking through the episodes because once again salinger isn't the villain of this piece it's trish but trish doesn't become the villain until the end of the 12th episode of the season and she's taken out in the next episode and sent off to prison pretty much straight away you know even though we would traditionally see someone like Salinger as the villain of this show. It's Trish. That's what the whole build-up has been. Um, one other thing quickly I'd like to just point out, because I love how you talked about about everybody being told that Salinger is intelligent, but he doesn't seem that intelligent. There was a quick line from Jessica earlier on in the show when she was exploring his house going, 
you actually put all of these diplomas out to show people how intelligent you are. I'm not sure whether Salinger was any more intelligent than anybody else, but he definitely had a God complex. He definitely believed he was better than everybody else, and that's why he killed everybody else. But I'm not sure whether he was. Uh, it seemed like a lot of posturing from the character, and I think that's why it kind of comes across as maybe he wasn't as smart and as great and as wonderful as he was making himself out to be. But that was part of his villainous plan, I suppose. Yeah. A hundred percent. I I can't say anything more than what the guys have already said. Um, I I agree with everything, and I agree that really the villains do make some of the best characters Mm -hmm. uh, in any show. If you have a good villain and you have a good hero, protagonist or antagonist or anti-hero, as long as your main characters are fleshed out, the show is always going to be amazing. And we have that with Kilgrave and Fisk and Mariah. Um, So... Yeah, I, I agree with most of it. Um, and I think in terms of could we do a roundup of each season in one podcast, we're kind of busy with some stuff at the moment. But again, I will never say never. Uh, if we get a, a bit of a lull, who knows? We If we have a, 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 a snow day. We will see what we can do. We will take it in the uh, in the the bank, and we'll let you know if it ever comes out. I'd certainly like to go back and watch these series again. Definitely, I think the last opportunity we had to do something like that was coming up on uh, Defenders. We had the opportunity to to look back on all the series leading up to it. It would make a lot of sense doing a roundup if you, if there was something else on the horizon with these characters. If something happens on Disney Plus where we get to see these characters again, it would make a lot of sense to do one roundup on it. But uh, at the moment, no, we don't have a plan. Uh, to do it just yet but as you say as chris said you never know you never know chris do you want to take us to facebook yes over on facebook.com slash groups slash defenders tv podcast we got some feedback first up was jamie alexander who said loved this season it's so sad that these shows have officially ended but what a great send-off so much character growth from jessica trish and malcolm i hope season two was setting up for greatness and i was not disappointed i love that trish became the main villain even though that meant jessica losing her sister and best friend i'm glad that they brought luke in for a cameo since the series felt like the least resolved jessica deciding to stay in new york was a way to further spike kilgrave was just wonderful Thank you, Derek, John, Chris, for taking the time to make this podcast. I assume you all have day jobs. I loved all the Marvel Netflix shows, and your views were the perfect companion to my viewing experience. Can't wait to see what you guys are up to next. Uh, Surprising, yes, we all have day jobs. (laughs) We do this for the love, the fun. Um, So thank you so much for your comments. It really means a lot to us that all our fellow vendors enjoy what we do. We're not Mm -hmm. just talking... We'd be doing this anyway. We'd just be doing it to just the three of us. And I'm so glad that our conversations can reach a wider uh, range of people, but also that you can talk back to us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm going to say it again. Come and join us over on TV Podcast Industries uh, for all your lovely John, Derek and Chris chit chat. Absolutely, absolutely. But so, so many thanks to you, Jamie, for all of your thoughts over the years yeah, on this absolutely. podcast. It's been really good hearing your thoughts on, on the episodes uh, and all the feedback that we've received so far. Jeff Child says, I like they explored through Jessica, Trish, Malcolm and Eric what it means to be a hero. They really do, don't they? Thanks, Jeff, for that. I think that is, uh, yeah, one of the th- great things uh, from the season, just the exploration of being a hero. Um, as I said uh, in my defense of this final episode, you know, you have Jessica becoming that hero, Trish thinking she's a hero uh, and failing uh, 
uh, to recognize that she's turned into the bad guy. Um, you know, Eric using his hero abilities in ways that really don't make him a hero. Uh, and Malcolm certainly feeling that he's heroic when he's got a load of drugs in him uh, and realizing that what he needs to be a hero for a non-superpowered is very different from those with superpowers like Jessica, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. Yeah, Mm -hmm. really good. Absolutely. Thanks so much for that, Jeff. Finally, for Facebook, Bob Phillips says, I loved seeing Luke Cage. Surely just glancing at him makes you go and make absolutely certain you've got coffee in to offer in case he calls. <laughs> seeing him did make me pine for season three, though. His awkwardness about what his life may become is palpable. Their sharing of pain, gone or to come, about the rafting of siblings is perfect, as was the portrayal of Jessica taking the hero path. Jerry, I was unsure of right to the last steps. Was she really going to do the right thing or not? Her arc of undulating morality was played perfectly oh that's a beautiful way to put that bob undulating morality that's kind of the perfect description of hogarth really isn't it bob goes on to say eric costa didn't quite deserve their own series but i will accept them as a cameo in cases from wappinger falls cases from wappinger falls i really do want to see that series it'd be awesome (laughs) bob finally says now the last message has to be a massive thank you to derek john and chris your insight and dedication has made me very very happy from powerful women to naughty boys next time yes our boys podcast if we haven't mentioned enough and we've already recorded the first episode of this it's out on the 26th of july over on tvpodcastindustries.com so we know what's coming and it's violent and brutal and very naughty yes it is very naughty boy z <laughs> uh for sure um yes i really like the idea that eric and costa are brought into a unsolved case in wappinger for sure by by that very very nice sheriff who's who's had problems in her private life uh, for sure so thank you so much bob for all your undulating discussions uh, on all things to do with the marvel netflix it's been really good (laughs) uh, getting your thoughts uh, on on this for sure and I, i think yeah we've got plenty of coffee Definitely. Yep, thanks so much for that, Bob. We've actually got quite a few voicemails in for our final episode of Defenders TV Podcast. Uh, First up, Logan Simmons with his voicemail. Hey, Defenders. uh, Logan here, and I just wanted to stop by and give my thoughts on the final episode and the final season of Jessica Jones. Um, You know, I just wanted to say that I was going to give my thoughts somewhere around episode 7 or 8, but I was inclined to watch... the next episode before I had time to give my thoughts to the point where I ended up watching the entire season. And, uh, well, I, I guess that's just a testament to the quality of the material because needless to say, I am very, very satisfied with the uh, conclusion. I think Jessica Jones is the pinnacle of contemporary noir storytelling. And I think some people may find the voiceovers a bit too much and a bit cheesy, but as a as an as someone who can just soak in all of the noir feels, I love it. So I just wanted to give my thoughts and you know just say how satisfied with I am not only with the show but with the podcast in in general. And it's given me an opportunity to really um, think about these characters, these stories, and these themes in ways that I maybe hadn't have before. So um, just wanted to give my thanks to the show, and I'll be listening to TV podcast industries from now on, and uh, I suggest everyone else should. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much, Logan. Yeah. Um, contemporary noir 
TV shows, they're the best, aren't they? <laughs> it's a good way of describing what it was. Uh, it was a detective noir, old school. If you had to put this in black and white, it would have you know, with a smoky room and a, a dame walking in. You would have had a film from the 1920s. Um, so it was great to... It was a good way of putting it. Thank you. Um, and I'm glad we're going to have you along for TV Podcast Industries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, Logan. Thanks so much um, for the voicemail. It's it's great to get the voicemails in, and I, I agree. I think um, this series has been crafted so so well. Um, you know, you, we we've had moments where um, you know we we've talked about pacings and so on, and not a word of that at all, really, for for this series yeah. because it just pulled you in and you felt for each of the characters. Um, and it was, in in its measured way, massively intense mm-hmm. um, as to how they did it. So, yeah, completely agree. Thanks, Logan. Yeah, thanks so much, Logan, for your thoughts. And I know what it must be like to uh, not have someone like me forcing you to stop and record your thoughts every episode. You must run on to the next one. Other guys have been doing that a little bit this season when they've missed episodes. But thanks so much for your thoughts. Uh, another voicemail in from Ryan. Hey, how you doing, guys? This is Ryan here with my final review of a Netflix Marvel show, Jessica Jones Season 3. Guys, I am overly impressed. Um, I don't know, maybe if it's because it's the last show, so maybe emotions are high because, you know, we know what we're going to miss out on. But all in all, I was really, really impressed with this season. Sorry, I think they really nailed jessica as a detector finally and i would generally put this up there in i think maybe my top three netflix marvel series um but listen the way that Polgard um dealt with her situation through the series i was glad how that was ended malcolm's character was really really you see a real arch in his uh progress and what he's done i really like that trish wow well done netflix marvel I'm holding the phone in one hand, so this is me clapping, clicking. But seriously, guys, her art, her, her, her arch from beginning of season one to the end of season three, well done. Really, really enjoyed it. And Jessica herself, wow, what can I say? We've seen her ups and downs, and I am really, really impressed with what they gave me. I personally didn't know much before uh, the season started, or series started, sorry, about Jessica Jones. Apart from what I looked up and uh, what you guys had taught me o- over the years, but I was really impressed with her kind of arch again from season one to season three. I wasn't the biggest fan of season two, but I didn't hate it like other people did. Um, I did think it probably could have been maybe eight episodes instead of the thirteen, and that's where I think they kind of uh, it went wrong a little bit because they were stretching it out. But that's that's happened with a couple of Netflix Marvel series. And if I'm completely honest with you, I'm sure you guys said it before. We've got over like 40 odd hours or 60 out close to that in everything. Defenders, Daredevil, uh, Punisher, Iron Fist, Jessica Jones. It was a lot of episodes and series we got from, if I'm right, in thinking that originally this was just going to be Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist and then Defenders. So, you know, we ended up getting three series of Jessica Jones, three series of Daredevil, you know, two of Luke Cage, two of Iron Fist, a series of uh, uh, defenders and then don't forget we got two series of punisher when we weren't even supposed to get that so i feel really blessed that we've um blessed i feel really lucky sorry that we've been able to watch all these series with a netflix marvel combo 
but yeah, I am I am really like upset that it has come to an end. But what's the saying? All good things must come to an end. And with that, I would like to say to you guys, thank you very much. You've you've been with us for the last four years. Well, I say I've been with you, sorry, for the last four years and all those series, like I said. And I would genuinely like to thank all three of you for all the time and effort you have put in for this podcast. Because without you guys, I would not know half the stuff I know. And I genuinely look forward to twice a week when a Netflix Marvel series was on is uh, hearing you guys' opinions on everything, breaking stuff down for us all. Because I was, like I said to you guys in the past, I wasn't a, a massive comic book reader. I used to read a little bit, but nothing major. And you guys have really, really helped me out in the past. And I've enjoyed being a defender, you know, a podcast defender for the last couple of years. So hopefully I'll be able to keep up with you guys and follow what you're doing and you never know with this disney plus and hulu thing we hopefully might have something that we can all get back together in the future and and share our thoughts and um you know knowledge on marvel uh, comics and characters in general so like i say the three of you guys i would genuinely like to take my hat off and thank you for all your time and effort again because i'm sure i'm not the only one thinking this you have really really enlightened me and i've really enjoyed it so Thank you very much, guys, and hopefully I'll be able to speak to you soon. Take care. Goodbye. Thank you so much for that, Ryan. That's really good of you to send in those, uh, those final thoughts on the final season of Jessica Jones. Yeah, we've been doing this a long time now. It's 130 hours, I think, close to. It's like 39 hours for each of the three seasons of the show. So it's massive amounts of content that we've that we've gone through over the last four years. And it's been great having our fellow defenders along with us the whole time throughout those four years. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Ryan. Uh, and thanks again for your voicemail. Uh, I love how you have embraced the audio of voicemail uh, for your feedback and comments. It's been mm-hmm. really good to to get your thoughts. And I have to say as well, uh, this season of Jessica Jones is also uh, in my top three. Mm-hmm. Um, and dare I say it, along with another season of Jessica Jones as well, season one. Um, so I'll allow all the fellow defenders to work out what my one of my top three is <laughs> remaining. You know, I'm, I'm kind of there with you as well. Yeah, it's been an excellent series this season. Thank you so much, Ryan. Yeah, I'm glad we've brought you along. I'm glad some of our nerdiness and passion for what these shows have been has rubbed off and got you back into some of the shows and got, maybe got you back reading again comic books. I'm glad we can spread the love that is comic books and potentially what was these series um and yeah don't don't go too far we're back in a couple of days with the boys mm-hmm. so have we said that enough i don't know if we've said that enough <laughs> we're not going anywhere we're just moving channels resubscribe and love us there and um, we want you to follow us over you won't be fellow defenders we'll be fellow industry heads if you want to call it that uh, you'll never not be a defender, definitely. Yeah. There will um, always be the defenders, even on TVPI. Exactly. I want to give a huge shout-out as well. A lot of these voicemails came in over at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. So the guys have been listening and have been going to tvpodcastindustries.com and subscribing there. So thanks so much for that as well. It makes it a lot easier whenever that comes into one little pile for me to pick up for our final podcast. We have one final voicemail, this time from Bob Phillips. Hello, it's Bob Phillips here. I'm just sending a message to say thank you very much, all three of you, for all the time and effort that you've put in to every one of these shows. I have really grown to deeply appreciate the novel Netflix Universe just because of you three. 
and the way that you have parsed and put together and pointed out the Easter eggs and shown where all the bits link and had some quite ridiculous theories, but really, really very much appreciated all the effort you've put to over these years. I will miss the shows. I will miss listening to the podcasts from you about those shows even more. And I hope to catch up with the other things that you'll be doing in the near future. Thank you. It's been really wonderful. Thank you so much, Bob. Uh, I, I, I don't know what to say. Ridiculous theories? We are the home of ridiculous theories. Yeah, I think I think we even had some ridiculous theories ah. in the final episode of all of the shows that things are happening that weren't happening. So yeah, I love that. Uh, thanks so much. I'm very proud of our ridiculous theories. <laughs> yeah, I'm very, very proud that we've kept you entertained for the last four years as well. Um, that was always the goal was to find other people that were interested in these shows and, and intrigued and excited to go along with them uh, as you've been going along. So really good. Thank you so much for sending the voicemail in. Thank you so much, Bob. Um, yeah, as I say, I'm in total agreement with uh, Chris here. You know, we are the the home of ridiculous theories, and long may it continue. It's where our minds go wibbly wobbly. Um, <laughs> but certainly, it's been great to get your input uh, on uh, those ridiculous theories <laughs> as well. Uh, and certainly, we do hope that uh, Amazon Prime or indeed. Netflix will be taking up uh, Wappinger Falls, uh, the new 13-part series um, <laughs> about uh, a down-and-out sheriff. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks so much to everybody for your feedback. Remember, you can still email us. The email address isn't going anywhere, but you can email us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. If you have any thoughts about the shows and haven't gotten to share them while we've been recording, uh, you can always share them there. You can join us over on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash tvpodcastindustries, or you can join us on Twitter at tvpodindustries. Um, that's it. That's the end of all of our Jessica Jones, the end of the Defenders, and officially Defenders TV podcast. We will still be covering the upcoming Marvel movies. Next up is Black Widow, which has been announced for May 2020. Also announced are five Disney Plus TV show projects, five of them. If they're made available outside the US, we will be uh, covering those as well, but they're not planned until at least autumn 2020. I think the first one coming up is Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which we will definitely be covering. So it's a massive break on Defenders TV Podcast if we were just doing it there. So make sure you join us over on TV Podcast Industries, which is our hub project now. That's where everything's going to be. Yes, we want to have the Defenders on TVPI, TV Podcast Industries, because yes, uh, we will still be covering Marvel and uh, we would love for you to all join us. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we've actually mentioned it yet, but we will be covering the ultra-violent The Boys from Garth Ennis over on Amazon Prime this <laughs> week. I, I don't. I think I completely slipped my mind. I'm so sorry. We should have been saying this from the beginning. But we'll have the first episode out on this Friday, the 26th, and then as the episodes begin to be released, we'll knock them out as well. We've seen some, we've recorded some, and oh God, people, you're in for a treat. And we'll also be chatting about the surprisingly ultra-violent Pennyworth from the creators of Gotham. Yes, Bruno Heller and Danny Cannon go wild on non-cable television. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly, uh, yes, release their, their more uh, extreme uh, thoughts on a 
distinguished English butler. Yeah, yeah. We'll have the first review of that out on the 28th of July. That is actually available. You can now watch the first episode of Pennyworth on Epics HD. If you have access to the app in the US, you're able to get access to that episode before it airs. But we're going to wait until it airs for everybody and release the episode on the 28th of July. From then on, we're going to be doing one episode of each of those shows a week. We're going to alternate with myself and John covering Pennyworth and Chris, myself and John covering The Boys. So that we have one episode a week of both of those shows going out on tvpodcastindustries.com. Thanks to all of our fellow Defenders and my boys here for joining us for these 236 episodes of Defenders TV podcast. Hope to see you around the way soon. Yeah, absolutely. I think I speak for all of us uh, when I say we defend all our fellow Defenders. Mm -hmm. You are, quite frankly, all top people. Uh, And whether you just listen, listen and comment, or listen and then switch off halfway through and then come back to us a bit later but however you've joined us for those 236 episodes uh, we are so glad to have uh, been able to chit chat um, about all these shows um, which we really have a soft spot for so yes we do defend you fellow defenders Mm -hmm. of course thank you so much and this has been a pleasure it's been our pleasure my pleasure to sit down with the guys, have you in our conversations, have your feedback, talking to you in Facebook, on Twitter, etc. So, Defenders is dead. Long live the Defenders. Exactly. Absolutely. Mm. We never talk about numbers on this show. Can we finish out with numbers? We hit our highest downloaded episode, unique downloads, this this year with our Avengers um, Endgame coverage. 5,000 unique listeners to that particular wow. episode. And we've hit over a quarter of a million unique downloads of our podcast thanks you so much for all of the downloads all the listens all the feedback absolutely great from from our fellow defenders uh, it's going to be fun on our new podcast but this one's always going to be the heart right yeah absolutely you can't see it but i'm doing that really weird heart-shaped uh, hand signal mm-hmm. of my heart just like yeah i love you guys thanks so much talk to you next time see you soon guys Yes, as always, thank you so much, fellow Defenders, for joining us. It is a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, I'm going to drench hot sauce all over my noodles. Um, (laughs) And after that, I'm going to self-medicate, like Eric, with a celebratory whiskey. Nice. But after that, we'll speak with you again soon over on TV Podcast Industries. Bye. A.K.A. everything. Did I do everything in my, my proper Barry White voice there? Everything. <laughs> everything. Can't do a thang, so Gotta do thang. Because they think the sun shines out of your proverbial... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. ...toned like bottom. Uh, but... <laughs> proverbial toned bottom. <laughs> saying ass... <laughs> I was trying to keep it PG-13. Toned backside. (laughs) You You know, (laughs) where was I? (laughs) The sun shines out of. Zaya says you fooled another one. Yeah, Zaya says you fooled another one. Did you start that? But yeah, as I gave you your line. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that thing that you just said there. I'll repeat that thing. Um, and I, I really liked how, in a sense, Malcolm sabotaged 
himself put that final nail in the coffin with Zaya um, because just like my segue put the final nail in the coffin uh, of Zaya uh, because you know he goes I sabotaged it uh, speaking, speaking of, of coffins, coffins. <laughs> <laughs> love, but speaking of love, Just, uh, everything doesn't have to be segue. <laughs> no, I know, but these segues are fun. This is the I last Jessica Jones life. segue we will <laughs> ever get. Our creative juices flowing. That's the end of our top five for the final episode of Jessica Jones season three. Any notes? Anything we haven't talked about, guys? No, we covered most me. of it. I love when both of you come in and answer that exactly at the same time. No. <laughs> no, not for me. No, not for me. Nope, nothing from my side. I think I've covered most of it. Excellent. Let's get on to our defense. Oh, we've got then. a delay again. And she's put out and, and put into a into the back of a paddy wagon. I can't say that, even though I'm Irish. Yes, um, and also we'll be chatting about the surprisingly ultraviolet pe- Violet, <laughs> ultraviolet, which is a good film if you remember it. It's a good TV yeah. series, actually. absolutely. Yeah. Film, oh my so god, much. yes, that was an amazing channel four. Mm-hmm. That's it. You're done. Bye bye. I'm out.